How sweet it was in Arlington this past Saturday as your Kansas State Wildcats upend the previously unbeaten and third-ranked TCU Horn Frogs 31 to 28 to claim the 2022 Big 12 Championship. This is the College and Kimball Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart. The drama in this game was palpable from the word go, and I said in the preview episode I felt this one really did have the makings of a classic. I know from the outside a lot of the national pundits and prognosticators were looking at Kansas State, looking at the three blemishes, questioning whether or not this team was even worthy of being in the CFP top 10 going into this matchup. At the end of the day, the Wildcats proved it on the field. Frankly, I felt like Kansas State was the better team for larger stretches of this game. And keep in mind also that Kansas State was doing this shorthanded. That's a talking point that none of the national pundits are going to bring up in the aftermath of this game. Offensively, you lose Malik Knowles. We all know how vital he is to that unit. He's the guy who takes the top off. He's the guy who can go up with his size and get you a 50-50 ball. He's the one who can obviously hurt you in the run game as well. And he is balling out at the point in which he has to exit this game with the injury. He has the big 40-yard reception on K-State's first scoring drive of the afternoon. He rips off the 40-yard run on the end around on K-State's second touchdown drive to go up 14-7. to It's not just a good day for Malik. He is poised to put up a 200 all-purpose yard, get NFL draft scout to notice me, offensive MVP championship type performance. And your heart just sinks when you think about it, not just from that perspective, but personally, a kid who's been through a lot, who stuck with Kansas State through some tumultuous personal times in his life, and Be in your own backyard as well. He's from Mansfield, Texas. That's less than half an hour away from the DFW Metroplex. To have that opportunity taken away from you is tough. And it was was a scene. It, It was a very emotional scene seeing him being consoled by Ben Newman, support staff, players, coaches, everybody in between coming up to talk to him after he had to exit that ball game. That was tough. And It did not deter, though, Colin Klein, the offensive coordinator, this offense as a whole. A lot of credit to Klein for finding different ways to poke and prod at this TCU defense. It's it's tough to recalibrate when you lose arguably your biggest playmaker, not at all trying to diminish what Deuce Vaughn did for Kansas State in this ballgame, but we know Malik Knowles is a a, a integral part of this offense and and does so many things in terms of keeping defenses honest to, to make those running lanes possible for Deuce Vaughn. When the threat of him catching a ball or taking an end around 70 yards is there, defenses have to honor that. So when you lose that, that was obviously a huge blow to Kansas State, but they were able to overcome that. Defensively, my goodness, the secondary. Think about all the bodies that have been lost over the last several weeks. With Sincere Mason and Kobe Savage obviously going out with their season-ending injuries, you lose Echo Boydo, honorable mention, all Big 12 corner, on a a play that's largely forgotten in in this ballgame, a huge pass breakup on a play that would have been a touchdown, would have put TCU up 14 to nothing, and and in effect would have 
just sucked all the life out of that Kansas State crowd that had made the trek down to to DFW for this game. Echo comes up huge, and, and then he unfortunately just lands awkwardly on the shoulder. He has to exit that game, and once again, you're forced to throw a freshman and Jacob Parrish in there. The Olathe North product comes in and holds his own. Keenan Garber, the converted wide receiver, uh, another Kansas kid from Lawrence, he comes in and, and is playing very meaningful snaps against a offense that has been one of the top five or ten in explosives throughout the course of this entire season. It's one of the most potent offenses in all of college football. And he holds his own. Klanderman's group, again, just finds a way to, to gut this thing out. And I'll talk more about the specifics from the game here in short order. The The obvious statement with everything I've just put out there is that this was and is a program-defining win. I don't think anybody can question that. But the added context here of performance against college football's elite teams. Chris Kleiman picked up three pelts this year against the AP Top 10. He's 5-2 and two against Top 10 teams in his time as head coach of your Wildcats. This next point, which again is not at all to disparage the Hall of Fame coach that is Bill Snyder, but his last win against an AP Top 10 team came in 2017 when K-State knocked off Oklahoma State 45-40. to the Byron Pringle game, probably the much easier mnemonic device, if you will. The 16 games prior to that win over Oklahoma State, K-State was just 1-15 against the nation's top 10. It speaks to the contrasting philosophies, I think, more than anything else. Snyder was always very much of the mentality, every week needs to be the same, there needs to be the routine, the regimen, just keep it all between the white lines, perform and execute the way we know that we're capable of doing, and we will find a way to win a football game. And he's in the College Football Hall of Fame, so it obviously served him well for a number of years. That's that's not really the point I'm trying to underscore here. More than anything else, Chris Kleiman, who I still feel adheres to a lot of the same core tenets that Bill Snyder does, he seems like a chaos agent, though, when you compare the two, because I think Kleiman's the type of coach who's willing to acknowledge that this game is taking on added meaning. There is this context of A, B, and C. I don't feel like there's anything wrong with that. You can embrace the nuance that comes week to week in college football. And frankly, that's why I feel like this team is the champion of the Big 12. Those guys dug a little bit deeper knowing the magnitude of the moment and embracing it, wanting to make the play for the guy that they've been lining up next to throughout the course of the season, fall camp, summer and winter conditioning, all the weight training sessions, everything that goes into this game, this moment. They wanted to deliver for the team and for the program, and they did in a big way. And this video that K-State Social put out following the game really hit me in the feels. Right before we're about to see highlights from the overtime period, there's the cutaway to the K-State locker room following the 45 to nothing loss to Iowa State in Ames way back in 2020. Chris Kleiman has a quote 
saying, I want guys who want to be a part of what we're trying to do. And as we continue to move through the cutaway, he goes on, he's hitting guys on their shoulder pads saying, I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you down. A message that's clearly twofold in that I as coach, no, I am not going to let you down. But you as players, we all need to be of one mentality. And, and you players need to invest in this. And you need to have that same approach. And you need to say, I don't want to let down my teammates next to me. And what a powerful message it was. What a seminal moment that was for this football program. How far has this team, this program come in, in just two plus years from that moment in 2020 in the midst uh, of a, a five-game losing streak to close out the season, suffering a, an embarrassing blowout loss at the hands of Iowa State and then Texas to close out the year. A lot could have happened. A lot could have happened. And Chris Kleiman also, keep in mind, confronted with a global pandemic, having to, to recruit in the midst of that, having to go through all of the crap week in and week out, not knowing what guys are going to be available, players having to get swabbed every single day, worrying about your own health and safety, everything in between. To come out of that two years later, Big 12 champions, thinning out the locker room, getting guys in there who wanted to be a part of the culture. It's a more than deserved reward, not just for players, but for coaches alike. That said, I would be remiss if I didn't spend a few minutes at least talking about one of the most memorable games in Kansas State football history. So let's go ahead and jump into our game recap here. If you've been listening to us throughout the course of the season, first off, thank you. And to that point, you know I typically lead with the offense. It's been a very intriguing and compelling storyline to watch just with where this group came the first half of the year with Adrian Martinez at quarterback, the evolution of the offense when Will Howard came in after Martinez got dinged, what we've seen from Colin Klein and his first year's offensive coordinator, the great game plans he's been devising, the halftime adjustments and so forth. It would be very easy to justify it here in this context as well, but the defense deserves the lead in my book. I felt like they truly were the group that won the day for your Wildcats in a number of different ways. Uh, I particularly when I reflect back on how the first meeting transpired, you had TCU wearing down the K-State defense, running the 82 plays it did to the Wildcats 53, Kendra Miller going for better than 150 yards rushing, Max Duggan close to 300 yards passing in that first meeting, averaged around 11 yards per attempt. K-State unable to force any turnovers in that first contest between these two. And, oh, yeah, on top of all that, the the injury to Julius Prince. Josh Hayes leaving for a stretch in that ballgame. Daniel Green being lost early on in that ballgame. Khalid Duke being ejected. It was just this unrelenting snowball that knocked out K-State in that first contest. That 10-point margin, as we Wildcat fans all know, certainly does not begin to tell the whole story. The defense in particular... I felt knew that it could play better, and it absolutely showed it in the rematch this past Saturday. You saw the guys really settle in after TCU went 92 yards on its opening drive, scored that touchdown to take the early 7-0 lead. The next eight possessions for the Horned Frogs only netted them three points. Very impressive showing by Klanderman's group, not just for adjusting in-game, but also adjusting to life without Echo Boido there on the corner. 
that was a very big loss, as we touched on. And a lot of credit and praise needs to be heaped on Van Malone, K-State's cornerbacks coach, not just for for what he's done throughout the course of this season, but the, the mental preparation, it, it's tough to play defensive back. And in particular, it's tough to do it in this league. And think not only about that, but think about who you're doing it against in, in a championship setting. Max Duggan, Offensive Player of the Year in the conference, 29 touchdowns coming in to just three interceptions, leading one of the best pass efficiency offenses in the country. They were fourth in the nation in that department, one of the highest scoring offenses in the country. They were sixth nationally coming in, averaging 40.6 points per game. And, and to be able to come in in the spot that Jacob Parrish did, the spot that Keenan Garber did, and to hold their own against the likes uh, of Quentin Johnston, as I touched on, Tay Barber, Darius Davis, that's a hell of a feat. That's a hell of a feat. And you look at it on the advanced number front, and one of the things that popped at me was success rate. K-State's been one of the better teams in the conference throughout the course of the season, not surprisingly, an opponent success rate allowed, 39.3% there. In this ballgame against TCU, the Horned Frogs only had 31.9% success rate almost eight percentage points lower than K-State's season average in that department. It, it just illustrates the fact that the Wildcats were were just straight up winning on a down-to-down basis and doing it much more consistently than they normally do. A big part of that, as I mentioned, was the K-State pass defense. And when you look at Duggan's line from this past Saturday, you, you can't help but come away impressed by what the guys in coverage were able to accomplish for K-State. Entering into this ballgame, Duggan, your Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year, was hitting on about 65% of his passes. K-State limits him to just 50%, 18 of 36. The 251 yards, a little bit lower than a season average there. But when you really do unpack that number and parse it out, you'll see that he targeted 10 pass catchers. Only eight ended up with receptions. And of those eight, only one guy has more than 28 yards receiving in this ballgame. And that was Quentin Johnston. That battle that unfolded between he and Julius Brents was highly entertaining to watch. And seeing how K-State fans were reacting, not just uh, with my friends and group texts, but also seeing the reactions on Twitter, a a lot of people discouraged by the play of Julius Brents felt like he was getting picked on a bunch. And and when you see Johnston's line of four receptions and 139 yards, it's hard to form an argument to the contrary but in the same breath you have to acknowledge first and foremost Johnston is one of the best wide receivers in all of college football back-to-back first team all big 12 he's going to get drafted in April he's going to make a lot of money doing this in the NFL he's just going to beat you on some plays and to that point he was targeted seven times and only had the four receptions and and also don't discount the fact that Julius Brent's had a hand in both of the turnovers that K-State gained in this ballgame, and those came on plays in which Johnston either made a reception or was the target. You think about that fumble recovery in the second quarter where Brents misses the assignment and coverage, recovers, pops that ball out of Johnston's hand, Austin Moore falls on it, thwarts what could have potentially been a scoring drive for TCU. That fumble was recovered in K-State territory. And then first play of the fourth quarter when it looks like TCU is about to in earnest, erase the K-State 11-point advantage and retake the lead, Brents comes up with the interception in the end zone. Crucial, crucial play. And I think that's just the nature of playing defensive back, especially playing defensive back in this 
type of a stage in this type of a matchup, you're going to get beat and you're going to win that battle sometimes. And, and I felt like Brent's more than held his own in this ball game. And honestly, when you take a, another step back and look at it at a, a macro level, I already touched on the fact that no other TCU pass catchers were really factors in this ball game. Think about what that says about Klanderman and company adjusting to TCU's attack. Think about what that says about what you did to the brilliant offensive mind that is Garrett Riley. He was really put in a compromised position where he had to just throw up 50-50 balls to Quentin Johnston, hope he came down with a reception. And then once that well dried up, he was out of bullets. And he just said, okay, Duggan, you got to go play hero ball. And that's where I'll kind of pivot here to talk about the the rush defense in this ball game. I, I, I would say this. If you told me going into this that Kendra Miller would only have 82 yards and would average 4.8 per carry, would have jumped on it, would have taken it in a heartbeat. That's almost half of what he had in the first matchup when he was, rushed for 153 yards on 29 totes. Would have taken that in a second. Duggan, that 110 yards rushing is exceedingly deceiving because he got 95 yards of that in the fourth quarter. His legs were not a factor for 80% of this football game. And yes, it's frustrating to see him bust all those big runs that he had and, and ultimately engineer the drive to tie it at the end of regulation. But that's just the way that Klanderman and company elected to play it. They dropped seven and eight into coverage that they, they didn't want anybody to get loose on them in the secondary. And that was just kind of what ended up occurring. Unfortunately, it, it sucked to, to, to watch that, to see him do what he did. And, th- and then to see TCU get the two point conversion to tie it and send it into overtime. That was tough to watch, but the defense, again, you, you can't ignore what they did in the aggregate and also coming up with, the goal line stand that's going to be remembered for generations to come. This is the Cardi windmill dunk against KU times a thousand. It's going to have that level of staying power. You are not going to be able to get away from this series of plays. You're going to see it in K-State hype videos. You're inevitably going to see it in the proud of this house video that's played at the stadium before the TCU home game next year. You're likely going to see it in the team entrance video. It's going to be ubiquitous. (laughs) And as far as the plays that led up to that fourth down and goal to go stop by the K-State defense in the overtime period, I'll say this much. The second down play where There's this weird fire drill. Duggan gets the snap, but the offensive line doesn't know what the hell is going on. And K-State's kind of frozen because the offensive line's not moving and Duggan scrambles and gets stopped. It it was very apparent. Elbow down, ball short of the goal line. Yes, there's a couple of blades of grass between the nose of the football and the goal line. No, no doubt about it. It's, I've seen screen grabs of it. It's been confirmed. That's a stop. Legitimate stop. Third down goal. The Kendra Miller run. What I've seen, yes, it looks pretty apparent visually from the overhead cam that the ball is extended over the goal line. However, I don't recall ever having seen a shot from the far sideline pylon cam 
to see whether or not Kendra Miller's knee might have been down. He is not on top of anybody. Khalid Duke has him wrapped up pretty quickly on that play. And the other thing as well, the Big 12 issued a statement on Monday stating that the call was reviewed and confirmed. So to anybody complaining about that, be a TCU fan or otherwise, I just got to say tough shit. That's, <laughs> that's the way that it goes, my friend. And the fourth down and goal to go stop by the Huggy Bear. You see great penetration by the K-State defensive front on that game. Daniel Green, Khalid Duke eat up gaps coming in from their linebacker spots. Huggy Bear defeats his block, is able to bow up and stop Kendra Miller on a very, very legitimate fourth down and goal to go stand. And it, it was so wild to see in the moment because you don't really see a lot of raw emotion from the guys. Austin Moore is losing his mind. He is jacked. And everybody else is just, uh, at that point, I'm sure, exhaustion is set in. TCU has battled back from 11 down. They, they forced you into the overtime period. You didn't think you were going to have to be here to hold off on this one. And I think the guys were just spent. And they came up with the biggest goal line stand that I can recall in, in K-State football history. And... They deserve all the credit in the world for digging deep on that one last snap to turn away TCU, get the ball over to the offense with no points allowed in the overtime session, and make it pretty low stress, I'll say, for Colin Klein's side of the ball here to set them up for the game-winning field goal. Now, to that point, we haven't talked about offense yet, so... I know I've spent a lot of time here, obviously, kind of recounting this game from the defensive perspective. So I, I don't want to kind of backtrack here, for lack of a better term. I'll, I'll say this much on offense. You didn't get the same effort from Will Howard, purely in terms of production uh, when comparing his numbers this time around to what he produced against TCU in the first meeting when he was 13-20, 225 yards, a couple of touchdowns in that ball game, six completions of greater than 20 yards or more. Joe Gillespie, TCU defensive coordinator, was much more prepared for Howard in this offense here in the rematch as Howard goes 18 of 32 for 199 yards, couple of touchdowns, no interceptions, only three pass plays of greater than 20 yards for K-State's offense as well. So credit to Gillespie and company for, for adjusting in their preparation and I do have to give kudos to wide receivers again for stepping up after Malik Knowles leaves the ball game. Phillip Brooks ha had a great day, uh, a Phillip Brooks line if ever there was one. Targeted seven times, led the team with six receptions, 48 yards, had a couple of nice grabs on some deep outs. Great placement on those passes too by Will Howard. Didn't hang it up too long, giving the defensive back time to recover and potentially make a break on it. Great catch and run by Phillip Brooks in those plays. Cade Warner, your leader in terms of targets in this ballgame, 10 times, only ends up with the five catches, does have a couple of nice grabs that result in first downs. You also had some plays where you missed some opportunities down the field on an, on an overthrow. You had one play where he was underthrown, came back and made an adjustment to get a catch, but it gets overturned because of a trap. You're obviously frustrated that K-State's not capitalizing on some of these downfield opportunities, but... I, I just simply chalk that up to TCU having a better idea of, of how to defend this version of the K-State offense. That's that's all I'm going to write that off as. I'm not going to 
dive too deep into it. I don't think that the book is out on Will Howard or Colin Klein or anything of that nature. I just think TCU was better prepared this time around. Nothing more than that. Uh, A couple other things I'll mention as far as the pass catchers go. RJ Garcia, love seeing him climb the ladder for that touchdown reception in the third quarter. It's been nice to see him really just play. I I can't say anything more than that. He's just been getting more snaps week to week. The coaches clearly trust him when they go four and five wide. And and frankly, I think he's going to be asked to do a lot more in this offense next year. Yes, Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks could potentially come back with their COVID seasons. I'm, I'm not banking on either one exercising that option. Wishful thinking on my part. We'll see what happens. But RJ Garcia is going to be a focal point of this K-State offense in 2023 in my mind. And my dude's going to need to hit the weight room. He is he is rail thin. He's going to need to absolutely put on some muscle here to take on uh, that additional workload that's going to be thrust his way in 2023. But for the moment, great to see him have a couple of catches in this ball game, and again, step up in the absence of Malik Knowles. Ben Sennett, another guy, didn't have a catch in the first go-around against the Frogs, has a couple of grabs in this game, 32 yards, has the touchdown catch to get things started for K-State in this ball game, And, and honestly, his second catch could have very easily been a touchdown. The the name of the defensive back eludes me right now, but but that was a great setup on, on that particular play as well, K-State moving down the field. They had been running jet action a lot, and they they got linebackers to suck up on it when they ran Deuce Vaughn in motion going to the near sideline. When the linebackers came up, that opened up the seam quite a bit. Will Howard, great placement on that that route to Ben Sennett, and, and as I mentioned, the TCU uh, secondary member just barely getting a hand on Sennett's foot to trip him up on what would have been an easy walk-in touchdown for Ben Sennett. But again, Ben coming through with some big contributions in this game as well. And, and Deuce Vaughn, we, we all know what he's capable of doing in the past game. And, and I, I had I couldn't do anything but laugh when he they ran that quad formation and, and Deuce snuck down the seam and, and, and Will Howard just ripped one to him and that just shows you how much trust there is between those two and and what Colin Klein still thinks of Deuce Bond's, Vaughn's ability in the open field. I, I mean, that's not a play that you really diagram for a guy that's five foot five, but they still trust him to go out and, and execute. And, and, and again, that goes, that's credit to Will Howard for the placement on that pass. That's not putting it too high for the defensive back to come over the top and, and, and knock it away. And it's putting it in a spot where, where Deuce Vaughn can can shield himself and kind of just box out the guy, make the grab, roll in there. And, and that set up K-State for that, that touchdown run by Will Howard. So, again, from the passing game, I, I liked what I saw in spots. There, there were some frustrating moments for sure. But all in all, I thought a, a more than fine effort from Will Howard and company. Loved, again, what I saw in terms of uh, the scheming from Colin Klein. Loved the change in direction, too, uh, as well in this ballgame. When Malik goes out, we see Colin Klein kind of throw a changeup out there. We see DJ Giddens start to get fed the rock more. We see the offensive line really start to eat. This is a point at which K-State has a 14-7 to lead. The offensive line is kind of starting to grind down that TCU defensive front. And... It looked like the Wildcats were about to go up 21-7. to This was a drive. K-State had been moving the ball pretty effectively and had gotten down to the TCU 37-yard line. And 
the Horn Frogs, uh, credit to the defensive front, just they, they bowed up, they made a play, they turned uh, K-State away on a fourth down and one at their own 37-yard line. They needed to come up with a big stop, and they absolutely did. Um, I, I don't really, I, I guess I didn't understand the, the decision there. They had re- been running off the left side, really trusting uh, BB and KT Lev to get the job done running off the left there, and then they decide to throw a, a change up and, and go right side and and TC was able to blow that play up early and and, and Dylan Horton the, the freak defensive tackle uh, for TCU makes a big play there and disrupting that one so again TCU's got dudes they're gonna make plays but uh, I liked what I saw from from Klein just in terms of the nuance there what K-State had done early on and and trying to take shots and, and with the jet action as well uh, they they had cashed in on a couple of those had, had been moving the ball pretty effectively and then they just went uh, to a pretty conventional ground and pound type attack and they were able to move the ball in that spot it didn't net points unfortunately but it is what it is uh Colin Klein is still continuing to learn and grow as an offensive coordinator. That's the, that's the part in my mind that would make me pretty scared if I'm an opposing defensive coach is that K-State is doing all of this with a guy who's still learning on the job. I, I know he's had a number of offensive uh, roles in terms of his coaching tenure, and he was a co-coordinator, this, that, and the other, but but the onus is on him now and he's the one coming up with the game game plans and obviously determining how K-State's going to attack. And I, I love what I've been seeing from him. And again, it just, it speaks volumes about the level of trust. That's the word that I, I come back to constantly when I talk about offense, what do you trust Will Howard to do throwing the ball? What do you trust this offensive line to do late stages of the game when you need to lean on somebody and get a first down? There's a lot of trust and belief with coaches and players alike that I love seeing that. And I love seeing this group continuing to grow and everything in between under the direction of Colin Klein. It's been wonderful to watch. I have to spend a few moments talking about the rushing effort here for your Wildcats, 44 carries as a team, 205 yards net for Kansas state in this ball game. Not surprisingly, it was Deuce Vaughn leading the charge for your cats and I, I don't know what else I can say about him at this point. He He's just been marvelous uh, and exceptional talent. And it, it's it's so remarkable to me that the, that guy of his stature and his frame, I, I know he is strong as hell and he can take the bell cow workload that he was given this past Saturday with the 26 carries. But it's still just one of those things where you have to marvel at it. You know, guys don't typically, you just don't really see that anymore in, in football. You don't see guys get the ball 30 times a game. And this offense still very much relies on him to go through. And, and that's the other thing too. They, they, I think Colin, as well as anybody else knows and understands that you're not going to clamp him down for, four quarters. If we give this guy 30 touches, he's going to bust an explosive or two on your defense. And that was honestly what ended up happening in this ball game where TCU did a pretty respectable job keeping him bottled up through three quarters. And then after Julius Brents, as I touched on a little bit earlier in the episode, had that massive interception to stop the TCU drive. 
K-State starts to cook on offense, gets it out just beyond midfield, and then bam, Deuce Vaughn busts the 44-yarder running around the left end, leaves a defensive back in the dust. If if don't want that smoke was incarnate in human form, it, it was Mark Perry's effort in the open field against Deuce Vaughn. He, he was already forced to the boundary. Deuce Vaughn was cutting it back towards the inside. He was in a horrible position to try and make a play on that. And Deuce Vaughn just dusted him. And it, it was one of those things where you, you got a little choked up thinking about all the times that he's done it in a K-State uniform and thinking about it potentially being one of the last times we see him do it. Obviously, again, he, he has a senior year if he wants it, but he's... He's a guy who's going to have an opportunity to make money in the NFL as well. I, I I love Deuce Vaughn. It's been, again, I talked about how rewarding it has been as a now third, middle, middle-aged 30-something, getting a chance to watch him and not appreciating Darren Sproles when I was just a dumb teenager and seeing Darren just make dudes look silly week in and week out. It, it's been so awesome to see this now as an adult and, and have a much better appreciation for how tough it is to do what Deuce Vaughn and Darren Sproles have done in their time as K-State Wildcats. It's been awesome to see, and I love seeing Deuce Vaughn get the most valuable player award in this ball game with his effort, and it's just great. It's just great, and I I love that the offensive line continues to block as hard as they do for him. I uh, love to see DJ Gins. I talked about him coming in, getting some carries late stages of this one. Even Will Howard with some, uh, I I haven't talked about him. We, we we saw Will Howard run the ball a lot early on in his career. Now it's a lot of, it's a much different proposition when you're coming in as a wide-eyed freshman, you're 6'4", probably about 200 some odd pounds. And now Will Howard's up around the 240 range. Um, it's a little bit different game now, but Will Howard still wa- was tactical in, in, in his running and, and made the right selections on a handful of option on uh, zone read keepers and got some big first downs that 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 series uh, in which K-State took the lead 28 to 17. Will Howard had a QB keeper where he picked up eight yards and got a first down uh, on the play leading up to the aforementioned touchdown run by Deuce Vaughn. And also, K-State went tempo, too, early on in the ball game. After Deuce had that nice uh, nice reception down the seam, K-State went up quick to the line. Will Howard faked the dive. You saw Ben Sinnott go in motion. Everybody followed Ben Sinnott and Deuce Vaughn on the fake handoff. Will Howard able to just stroll into the end zone on that play. Uh, it, it's just nice to have that added element back in the offense. I know it's not something that Colin strives to do. But I think incorporating it a little bit more with Will Howard is something that you you can afford to do. He's obviously got a, a bigger frame, is able to take uh, take the hits. I'm not advocating that K State go out and do to Colin do to Will Howard what they did to Colin Klein, however many years ago when Colin was taking 20, 25 design QB runs game in and game out. I, I don't want to see that, but I, I think Will Howard, just by virtue of the fact that you have such an electrifying running back and you also have a very serviceable backup as well, and DJ Giddens, both guys very capable of hurting you when they have the ball in their hands, I, I think Will Howard can get guys to bite on that a couple of times, and you can get some yards when you elect to do that. So that'll be interesting to watch if that wrinkle maybe manifests in the bowl game. We, we shall see on that front. But all in all, from the K-State offense, a, a, a more than 
than respectable day here uh, against TCU. 21st downs in total, 404 yards for the Cats on 76 plays, 5.3 yards per play, a little bit lower than their season average. But again, you missed some opportunities. You still had a very fine day moving the ball. It wasn't like this offense hit stagnant periods and, and really just got into a rut and had trouble moving the ball with any kind of regularity. Really, once you got those first couple of series out of the way for K-State, the offense did a pretty good job of of sustaining the ball and picking up a first down or two on drives and not just, again, shelling up and not producing anything. Uh, K-State, 5 of 16 on third down in this ball game, 2 of 3 on fourth down. They cash in on their red zone attempts as well. K-State going Three for three inside the TCU 22 touchdowns and a field goal as well. It got the job done. It's not going to blow anybody's socks off, that's for sure. But at the end of the day, it was the type of effort that you needed in this ball game. The biggest takeaway I have is the fact that K-State just never really turtled up on offense. TCU had that sequence that I mentioned earlier where they went missed field goal, punt, 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 fumble, field goal, punt, punt. Nothing like that on your Wildcats drive charts in this ballgame. They were just the more dependable group. And speaking of dependable, we got to talk now about specials to wrap this thing up. Ty Zentner coming through with the game on the line in the overtime period, knocking in the 31-yard field goal to lift K-State to the victory. Never a doubt on that try from him. He remains perfect on the season, now 9-for-9 on the year. I I don't want to trivialize the moment, but it just seemed kind of academic at that point, though. And maybe that's just because we see it so often in football. And it was like the quintessential NFL ending that you would see before they instituted the everybody gets a possession in overtime rule. It was whoever won the coin toss in overtime would take the ball. They drive it down to the opponent's 25-yard line. You'd line up and knock the field goal through. End of story. And as I said, I certainly do not want to detract at all from what Ty Zentner did. But man... I felt little to no stress after the goal line stand. When I saw him walking out there with that smile on his face, you just knew. You just knew. And that kid is as chill as they come. He's got a great personality. You love to see how how hyped he is whenever he goes out there. And, and if he knocks a punt inside the 10-yard line, if he makes a field goal, the dude just loves the game, loves what he does. Um it's awesome for a Kansas kid to have that moment. He played high school football in Topeka for Shawnee Heights, started his college career at Butler Community before transferring in to K-State before the 2019 season. He's a day one climbing guy. And also keep in mind as well, this is his sixth and final year of eligibility. He could have declined to come back prior to the start of this season, but the coaches were able to convince him to stick around for one more year and, and how awesome is it that he gets to reap the reward in this fashion? Could not be happier for Ty Zentner. He's going to live in K-State lore forever. That kick, as I said, the goal line stand is going to be part of hype videos forever. This kick is going to be part of hype videos forever. It, it's tremendous. Could not be happier for Ty for having and delivering in that moment. Another special teams play I have to shout out here is the Seth Porter over-the-shoulder catch of a Ty Zentner punt in the waning moments of the fourth quarter. 
Porter downs that ball at the six-yard line. Keep in mind, TCU still has all three timeouts at that point and 38 seconds left. If that ball goes into the end zone and TCU is starting on its own 20, absolutely you see Garrett Riley and company throttle up and try and get a couple plays off and put themselves in a position to kick a game-winning field goal at the end of regulation. So that's a play that's probably going to be forgotten by most, but man, you got to give a huge shout out to to Porter for getting down there and downing that punt. That that was a huge play for K-State special teams in this ball game. I, I could harp on Phillip Brooks for muffing the punt in the third quarter, but man, I, I just don't want to do it. It didn't end up biting K-State in the grand scheme of things, as we know. Yes, it sucked that you lost momentum when you were really in a position to put your foot on the throat of TCU already up 21 to 10 early stages of the third quarter with an opportunity to potentially stretch that to a three score game. But I know he's a more than respected returner. He was named second team all big 12 for a reason and he'll get that cleaned up for the bowl game. I'm not going to let one gaffe distort my opinion of him. I know he's been a great weapon for K-State back there fielding punts. And as I said, I, I don't want that to detract from the Wildcats outplaying TCU really in all three phases and, and winning the day and winning a conference championship. And a couple of team-related statistics I do want to talk about here as we wind this thing down. On offense, we have a number of noteworthy accomplishments here. The, the offense has generated 432 points this season, which moved this group into the school's top 10 for scoring offenses. It's generated 2,725 rush yards, which now ranks fifth in school history. And overall, it's produced 5,462 yards, which is fourth in school history. And Colin Klein's stock as offensive coordinator is only going to continue to rise. And as we get further entrenched in the Chris Kleiman era, I think this thing is just going to continue to build and feed off of itself. And as we continue to see this program, identify and recruit higher caliber talent, it's going to look that much better. I'm beyond excited to see what we get out of Will Howard and company next season and also projecting forward with Avery Johnson and all this great Kansas talent that's going to be coming in in the 2023 recruiting class. A lot to be excited about on that front. Uh, individually, a couple of other notes here. King Felix got a sack in this ball game. That gave him 20 and a half sacks on his career, now tied for sixth in program history. Deuce Vaughn's rushing effort got him to 1,425 yards now on the season. That is the fourth most in a single season in program history. Again, no surprise that the, the two stalwarts on either side of the ball are continuing to vault up K-State all-time charts here. It's been really rewarding to see them contribute the way that they have throughout their course of their careers. And they're obviously rewarded with a big 12 championship and to, to, to put into context what this one means and, and how it stacks up against the other two titles that K-State has picked up here in the modern era, if you will, uh, got to give a shout out as well to Scott Wildcat of Bosco's boys. He does exceptional work and he tweeted out in the aftermath of this game that K-State now joins Oklahoma as the only other Big 12 program to have won a conference championship in each of the three iterations of the Big 12, the divisional format, the one true champion, and now the conference title rematch of one versus two in the final standings. That's obviously great company to be in. As far as what this 
title means. It's it's tough to put into context because each of the three is so nuanced. I, I think 2003 will always hold a special place in my heart. I, I attended that game. Seeing it at live what was obviously beyond gratifying for me because I, I feel like I was part of that generation of, of K-State fans that really did feel the impact of Bob Stoops coming in and raiding Bill Snyder's staff following the loss in the 1998 Big 12 championship. I, I think that wound was still fresh enough that that win against Stoops on that stage was a little bit more satisfying. The fact that you kind of got to twist the knife and beat him as badly as you did, that was that was very, very rewarding as a K-State fan. The 2012 title will always seem a little bit hollow to me, and I hate to, to, to even frame it that way, but that team had much bigger aspirations and ambitions that year, having gone through its first 10 games, gotten to 10-0, and 0, seeing Texas A&M knock Alabama from the ranks of the unbeaten, knowing Ohio State's perfect season was not going to be a factor in the national championship race due to NCAA sanctions. You had all these doors that were opened up for you, and the the goal uh, of the ultimate prize in college football was very much tangible, was very much there for the taking for Kansas State. And they weren't able to to obviously come through in that game against Baylor. I don't want to talk about that any more than I have to. The coming back home on senior day, beating Texas, having the really cool scene with that fog hanging over the stadium and seeing Colin Klein and Arthur and everybody hoisting the trophy. It was it was a great moment in K-State history. But in the back of your mind, I, I think everybody else was just kind of like, damn, this this sucks that this got away, that, that Bill Snyder had this opportunity ag- again here just a few years after coming back to take over as head coach of your Wildcats. He had the opportunity to get to college football's summit, and, and we unfortunately just weren't able to, to capitalize off of that. And then to, to get the conference title, technically a split with Oklahoma that year as we both finished 8-1 in the standings, and then to get housed by Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl again, it all kind of gets diluted, unfortunately. That 2012 team was great, and they, they beat the brakes off of a lot of teams that year. But that one always just, it seems a little hollow to me. And, and this one this year is a great testament to what, Chris Kleiman, I think, is is striving to build and the vision that he sold us on when he was first hired, wanting to bring in championship culture, do things his way, which was, again, very different from Bill Snyder. And, and to see it realized after four years is a great accomplishment for him, a great feat personally. And the big question, I think, in the, on the minds of a lot of K-State fans is, can you parlay this in recruiting? Can you get back to this level in the next three seasons. I, 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 I'm going to be a realist and, and say that there's likely going to be a drop-off uh, next year, knowing all of the talent that's going to be leaving this roster. There's a lot of, of great players that are going to be walking out the door uh, with, with like King Felix, Daniel Green, Echo, Brents, uh, and, and not to even mention guys on offense, obviously like, Deuce Vaughn, Phillip Brooks, Malik Knowles. There, there's going to be a lot of, of talent that's going to be leaving this team. There's going to be some big holes to fill. 
and and I'm not so naive as to expect this team to come back and 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 have a 10 win season next year. It would be great if they somehow some way managed to do it, but I'm I'm going to expect them to take a little bit of a step back. But can can that regression be be mitigated somewhat and, and can you have this program back at this level where it's contending realistically for a Big 12 championship maybe by 2024? I I think that's the big ask. This team has been it's been pretty much decades between conference titles. And I think knowing that the blue buds are, are departing this conference and knowing what's coming in, I think that's a, it seems like a more reasonable ask now of climate and company. And I, I hate to, this, this makes me sound like a greedy little shit. When I say this, this, this team just came through rallied from all the adversity that it suffered throughout the course of the season. And I'm talking about, Hey, can you have this team back in the conference championship picture in three seasons? I'm not trying to convey that message at all. I I just think that's that's going to be the big test for Kleiman, and that that's going to put him in in a very rarefied air, obviously in K-State program history. He's all, I, I think you can pretty compellingly make a case that he's the second best coach in K-State program history. There there's there's not a long list that you really have to vault over to get to this to to that level, but. The Kleiman v. Snyder argument is going to be one that maybe gets some more legs if Kleiman is able to to win another conference championship here in the next three to four seasons and also take into consideration as well the expanded playoff that's forthcoming in college football. Do your Wildcats make an appearance in the, the new format? Do they win a game or two in the new format? Obviously, a lot of discussions to be had here, and I, I want to save a lot of that speculation for the offseason. We'll have plenty to talk about here in the buildup to Kansas State's bowl game. The Wildcats' reward for finishing the year 10-3 and overall and champions of the Big 12. They get a crack at college football's preeminent program in the Sugar Bowl, the Alabama Crimson Tide. The Tide is obviously coached by Nick Saban, who is a cheat code. I have no other way of framing it. He is 274, 67, and 1 as a college coach. 183 and 25 as head coach of the Crimson Tide. That's a winning percentage of 88. The guy has won almost 90% of his games in the toughest conference in college football. He has won seven national championships, six while he's been in Tuscaloosa. The NFL talent that oozes out of that program is, (laughs) it really is second to none. They have produced 106 draft selections while Nick Saban has been head coach, including 39 first rounders. The worst season Nick Saban's had while he's been head coach of Alabama outside of his first year, it was a year in which Alabama won 10 games. They have been the standard in college football for well over a decade now, and I watched Nebraska in the 90s beat up on teams, but this is next level, what Alabama has done going back really to 2008. That was the first year Nick Saban got the tide to the SEC championship, and they've really just gone on a tear in this sport ever since. I don't really know what to think about this year's team, People in Alabama are obviously going to say this group is down, but man, their only two losses this year were a field goal at the gun to Tennessee, lost that game 52-49, to and they lost to LSU in Baton Rouge 
32 to 31. That was a two-point conversion by the Tigers in overtime. So this Alabama team, while maybe not being as dominant as the one that we saw win the national championship a couple of years ago during the COVID year, or even as good as the one that made it to the national championship last year, they are still chocked full uh, of future NFL talent. And this is going to be a tall task. I, I am not trying to belittle what Alabama has done this year. They are still the cock of the walk in college football, in my mind. And, and as far as Kansas State goes in this game, this is a great opportunity for all of those players I just mentioned that are potentially going to be declaring early or guys that are going to be exhausting their eligibility to be able to put any kind of film on your personal highlight reel in which you are making plays against Alabama. That is worth its weight in gold. And I feel like as well that this team, as far as Kansas State goes, is one in which the players really want to go out and do it for for one another. And I'll, I'll drop a, a, a uh, a clip here from Deuce Vaughn, who was asked about what this opportunity means to him, and, and he responded with this. Everybody inside this this program, this building, um, and it's another opportunity for us to, to, to be together one last time. Uh, everybody understands that uh, football teams aren't the same every single year, so uh, to come back and, and have this time down in a different city, uh, to be together for five, six days, and, and get to go play another football game, man, uh, that, that's what's to be game. I certainly hope that his teammates heed his words. And again, everything that Kleiman and others have stated about the locker room this year, I have no doubt that will be the case. And I feel like there will not be many opt-outs from your Wildcats in this one. Contrastingly, I think Alabama will likely see a few guys likely decline to participate in this bowl game. And to that point, it, it, it is very much a... a everything to gain, nothing to lose proposition for your Wildcats. I, I know people are frustrated that conference championships that K-State has won have been followed up with losses in bowl games. And this would be an opportunity to to make a statement against the team that has just ruled college football with an iron fist now for however many years. And you got to take advantage of that when it presents itself. And, and, and to be able to do that as well to follow up a win over a top three TCU with a victory over Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, you all of a sudden can start to make an argument for this being the greatest team in Kansas State history. That, however, will be a topic for debate in some of our episodes that will drop in the weeks leading up to the Wildcats' December 31st matchup with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Justin and I will obviously be bringing you content each and every week leading up to that game. I don't want to dive too deep into it right now just because I want fans to still have that opportunity to revel in the Big 12 championship. It's been a, a wonderful season for your Wildcats. And fans need to enjoy it. Go out there, buy Big 12 championship gear, buy Sugar Bowl gear, chat it up with your K-State brethren on, on Twitter, on three, Rivals, Go Powercat, whatever your, your forum is. Just enjoy the ride. It's been a whole lot of fun, and we get to see this group go out and compete one last time in a New Year Six Bowl game with a chance to make a statement to the college football nation. Enjoy each and every second of it, Cat fans. It's been terrific. 
With all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you guys so much for listening, not just to this episode, but to us throughout the course of this season. Justin and I, as I've said countless times, have a blast, and we really enjoy putting out this content for you guys. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on all the major platforms. Follow us on Twitter as well. You can find us at college underscore Kimball. With all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close this one out the way that I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know.